gave you where we started, now we on to something new. Let me introduce you to some of the fresh crew. Hollywood Jack, get yeah, a leader of the pack. Corey, I your man, Randy coming in stack. Robin with the Y, chilling in the nest. Holding down the crew, can't forget the rest. Queen of Queens, carrying, yeah, she taking no mess. Bring your A game, cause there ain't none less. Paco last minute standing, yeah, you know how it goes. Rounding out the best, JV to the pros. And we are back with JV to the Pros Season 3, Episode 22. Wait a minute. Time out here. Time <laughs> out. God is punishing my voice. Time out. <laughs> Where is that? By the way, I'm I'm Corey Ramsey. Where is that gusto that I'm used to hearing from Jack Vecchio? And, and what I is am, going on? I am Jack Vecchio with hardly any voice left. Yeah, you left it in the subway. On the I, I did. I did so many. We're going to talk about the screening of of Night Hunter in a little bit, but I did so many interviews and so, talked to so many people that um, finally God found out what my limit is on my voice on my vocal cords because um, I've been struggling for days to get my voice back. This is going to be our best show yet. <laughs> yes. Less of Jack. Less Jack, more everything oh. else. <laughs> All right. All right. So we have the renewed Iron Man of broadcasting. I'm going to have to, he's going to have to go higher on my levels because I'm going to be able to talk just about like this for the night. That's good. Um, Corey, good, 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 good. The Iron Man, Ramsey, who has done about 84 out of 85 shows in a row. How are you, Corey? Fantastic, and I'm starting a new streak here, so watch out. Cal Ripken, you better watch out. I'm coming for him. Coming for him. And we are lucky tonight. We have the entire cast here. We have producer extraordinaire, Robin with a Y in the nest. Hello. And we have producer the Queen of Queens, Karen from Queens, New York. Say hello, Karen. Hello. (laughs) She goes, I'm out. She's She's background stuff now. And- She's working. She's, she's actually working. stepping away to work. She said she's walking here. She's walking and working. And we have the fifth member, the last man standing, the the engineering genius, the technical genius, Paco. I am the walrus. <laughs> I'm not going to make that joke. My voice. That one is just too. That, that, yeah, that's low hanging fruit that. right there. I'm stop, I'm stop, I'm no, I'm not doing it. I'm leaving that. All right. I wonder if this is what Ringo feels like every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be a part of the Beatles and find out you're Ringo, right? Although he did make the most money. Ringo is doing well. I He's doing Paul McCartney is the wealthiest of all no, of them. Ringo is. No, I looked it up the other day. He, uh, Ringo, Mar- Paul McCartney hasn't hit the billion mark yeah, yet. Yeah, he has. 974, he's on his way. But Ringo made the most money quietly. So This sounds like another <clears throat> Jack fact. So. <laughs> Were you there in, uh, when they showed up? <laughs> and I just want to say one quick thing. My own personal thank you, Jim, for sending us that email with all of your critique and all of your fact-checking and all of your wonderful information. We Holding really us accountable. It. Yes. Jim. Very Jim. appreciated. And we can't see, wait to see your smiling face on our show. Jim, 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 Jim. Yeah, so props to uh, Jim. So, Jim, please look that up, because I'm guessing that Jack is probably wrong about that. <laughs> Not that I care who... who who makes more money between Ringo and Actually, Paul? I thought it was Paul for the longest time, and somebody corrected me, and I looked it up, and I found out that it was Ringo. And I thought, how? And his all-star band has turned out a lot of big hit records. Okay, but there's no way that the all-star band has made more than Paul McCartney and the Wings. 
I, I just I oh, don't I, see I, it. I, I didn't see it either, but yeah. I also didn't see that Diana Ross beat Aretha Franklin. But, you know, yeah. apparently I was wrong. Well, you're wrong about a couple of things because it says right here, Paul McCartney's net worth is 1.2 billion. Billion. And what's Ringo? What is Ringo? So we're going to find out what Ringo is. And you have to remember, Ringo starred in Caveman. That must have been worth some bucks. That's 40 bucks right there. It's not even close. Movies of all time. Okay, hang on. Ringo Starr, go ahead. Ringo Starr, whopping $350 million with an M, m, m-, m- million dollars. <laughs> okay, it's So, Paul. you see, Jim, we actually Jim. didn't need you this time, but Jim. I appreciate it anyway. Jim is going to do the fact-checking anyway. <laughs> um, so, right. we had uh, a lot of fun last week. I appreciate, Corey, that you showed up for the screening of Night Hunter. And go- sure, yeah. Bye, everyone. I'm out. <laughs> Sexy Robin's out, and she didn't go to the screening either. She's just going to bed at night. What's the matter with her? All right. So um, Robin with a Y is gone, and Karen, the queen of queens, is on the phone making deals and making things happen. Um, so I appreciate that you showed up, uh, Corey, for the for the screening. I, I, it was kind I had of a exciting. blast. So why don't you... Uh, and I brought you on the red carpet. We yes. took pictures up at, with the well, marquee. Let's, and let's... Bring the audience up to speed, and why don't you take a No, no, a go, you go, minutes. you go, you, you got the voice tonight. No, 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 but I think either you or Paco, I think, uh, probably you, I think you would be better served to discuss briefly the movie and the premise of the movie. Okay, the movie is um, primarily about addiction and various addictions, and the interesting thing about the film is that um, everyone in the film seems to have a different and or varied addiction right down to the stars of the film who are suffering from addiction. And part of their addiction is to track down other people that are addicted and they come across people that are addicted to various things. And it has to do with serial killing. It has to do with drugs, has to do with prostitution. It has to do with um, inner city desperation. It has to do with, um, feeding the beast of the judicial system. It, it just, it has to do with a lot of things going on with, um, with society. It, it's got a lot of messages. Now I watched the film, um, three consecutive nights and, um, Connie, um, Girelli, who is, um, co-star of the film. Uh, she plays my wife on promise land. She's a very fine actress, but, um, we both notice things about this film, each time we watched it, we noticed more that uh, Raul, the director, put into this. And we were like, okay, this is like an onion. Like each time you watch it, you discover more about it. So um, Night Hunter turned out to be uh, pretty much a home run. I mean, a lot of people um, had a little bit of trouble following the path of the story. But once you grasped all that was going on, because it's it's a lot of spinning plates, um, It's it's a very – interesting concept of frustration of temptation of addiction of i mean it's just um and ironically everybody in the film is addicted (laughs) except the character i play (laughs) so um you know and one of the things that i will just add on about night hunter that it's one of those movies that you'll appreciate more when you talk about it with folks and it's kind of like so when i watched uh uh, Mulholland Drive with Robin with a Y. At first, she hated the movie. Well, hate's a strong word. She disliked the movie. 
And then when we got to talking about it and I pointed out several things, then her, uh, her like meter actually went up exponentially because she was like, oh, yes, I remember this part. Oh, yeah. And that's how it was with Night Hunter. So I don't want to give uh, too much away. Hopefully that uh, it will be available for folks to see. It was enjoyable. And certainly it was fun seeing the red carpet. It was fun meeting some of the uh, actors and everything, meeting the director. So it was really an enjoyable time. And 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 we're gonna we're gonna post um pictures from the red carpet and pictures of us on the red carpet and pictures with the cast members and and we're just gonna the the Facebook page will have lots of pictures of what went on over the three night screening. Here's the other thing I just found out um today was that um uh, a restaurant a very popular restaurant here in San Diego um classy place is actually going to be showing the film along with while it's touring at the film festivals uh a place called Elijah's is going to have a two night screening of Night Hunter in August so people that didn't get to see it because we had we had sold out very quickly the first night and the second two nights you know that was quick too but um but Elijah's is going to be showing Night Hunter two nights in a row in August, the uh, first week of August. And I thought, boy, that's exciting that uh, people are starting to, you know, secure its spot. So and it will do the film festival. And sooner or later, we're going to have the ability to put uh, the link for anybody that listens to the show can watch Night Hunter on our Facebook page. They'll just be able to click on it and just sit back and enjoy it. All the props to Elijah for doing that for us. So JV to the pros really appreciates it. And we'll we'll be there. We'll probably um, do a show before the screening from um, Elijah's. Makes sense. So um, that that that'll be that'll be fun, and and we'll bring on cast members, and we'll have some fun with everybody. Um, I know that. Um, Raul, the director, has already announced um, the next project, and um, I'm I'm assuming he's keeping the band together, and all the actors that he can count on that he likes working with will be working on this upcoming film. So, and I'm I'm slated to do like three more films this year. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, we are also going to have um, the producer of Promised Land on in a couple of weeks, which I'm excited about because that begins airing September 7th. Now, let me ask you something. What, what did you think? I mean, I told you I wasn't in, I'm in less than 10 minutes in that film, but what did you, what did you honestly, th- I mean, I knew I can get a straight answer from you because everybody, I mean, basically it's an kiss fest at those things. Everybody sure. thinks you're the greatest actor in the world. They, they love you so much. They've admired you your whole career. But the truth of the matter is I get people that are friends, people like producer Karen, who will just tell me the truth about what, what they think. Think, you know, of the performance of the movie of what's going on. So, what did you think? Well, you uh, about you or the film in general? Well, I was I was wondering what you thought about my performance, and I would like to know first of all what you thought about the film, how you felt about it, and I mean, what's your feedback? Fortunately for me, I think like a writer because I am a writer, and so I was able to follow it, and so I didn't find it I didn't find it difficult to follow. That's number one. So let me put that out there for me, because I look for all the little nuances in film. So I pay attention to different things. So that's number one. So I like the different things that he did, the placement. Since I lived, since I lived in Portland, 
I recognized uh, Portland. I recognized like the Oregon shot. So like he didn't fool me there. What, what did you recognize actual specific spots? Because you you know you know how some of that was shot because it was during COVID. They literally went on a road trip up the coast, and when they got into Oregon, they would just see a cinematic spot, mm-hmm. pull over, unload equipment, and the actors had been rehearsing the lines. They knew what the lines were, but they just would shoot the the scene kind of gorilla kind of guerrilla um, style. So they would just, they would just do it that way and load the equipment back up and move to another cinematic spot. Yes. So uh, continuing on with uh, answering your, answering your question. So, uh, so I liked all the different placement, your role. I mean, it was really just you being you. So I didn't like, when I saw you and I saw you because I know you so well, I just thought, oh, that's Jack. I can see that. You thought that was me. Yeah, that was totally you. I thought that was. I thought that was just straight up acting. No, like, I no, no. I, you just played yourself a displaced New Yorker. Beauty, but that's the beauty of acting, Jack, and that's how it is for actors. Sometimes they just play themselves, which I think is uh, is great. I thought this was this was uh, a removal from my 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 normal character. Let's see. You, you were think cursing, I'm a loud, obnoxious, you were cursing, cursing cop? You were obnoxious. You didn't listen to the person that was trying to give you information. You were dismissive. Yeah, it was one hundred percent of me. It was one hundred percent you. I thought you were playing. You were playing you, uh, which again was good. I think it's it's fine. Actors play themselves. Jack Nicholson now plays himself. Right, De Niro. You know, De, Niro De Niro does a parody himself. of himself regularly. Al Pacino. I mean, has Al Pacino done? Um, well, hang on a second. You know, since, yeah, well, since Scarface? Yeah, like but Phil Spector. I mean, you look at Al Pacino. Al Pacino has, has done some wildly varied roles. Al Pacino, to me, is is a real, real diverse actor. I think actor. he's a great actor, but I think a lot of his movies he does play himself. Don't you think? Um, you know, I I, I look I, I didn't like I didn't like him so much in the Irishman. As Hoff, I didn't like that that whole thing. Um, I didn't think he sounded Chicago. I didn't think I think he did a bad job as in the Irishman. But I, when I look at him as Phil Spector, and I look at some of these other characters he's played um, recently, I think I think he has shown his range. Yes, Phil Spector. Yeah. Well, I I don't. This is not to say that Mr. Pacino, how I should refer to him, <laughs> doesn't have range because I think he's tremendous. Now and um, I think he was the star. I think it was the star of Godfather. I, to me, he made the movie, and I don't want to go down that uh, path too much, but um, that was his greatest role, I think, Godfather, when he took over as Michael, to play sort of the meek, somewhat, uh, you know, favorite son. And torment and the, and the grow- torment of, of... Yeah, and the yeah. torment, and then for him to grow into the ruthless Godfather. I thought was tremendous. His transformation showed me everything back then. But fast forwarding it now, uh, my point is that actors playing themselves, I think there's nothing wrong with it. Um, Who's the other guy? um, uh, Keanu Reeves plays himself himself all the time and is very successful. Right. And very enjoyable to watch. But nobody's handing him any gold statues for that. Yeah, but you know what? He's laughing his way to the bank. (laughs) Now, you mentioned Spectre. Now, this... Let's get back on a night hunter. The Spectre, I think, was um, we were able to uh, get some uh, recordings actually during some of the screenings. Isn't that right, Jack? 
Oh, yeah. We, we managed to um, interview several of the cast members. I mean, uh, we had a little conversation with uh, uh, Tom Mulligan, who uh, played a real, real bad guy in this film. Yeah, I'm, v I'm very excited about this. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you, how it started was it started during COVID back in... You know, in the heart of it. March and April. Yeah. And um, uh, Raul, re you know, actually reached out to a bunch of people and said, hey, I'm going to do a movie. Not exactly sure what it's going to be yet, but I'm going to do a movie. Mm -hmm. We're going to do it in this in this COVID. We're getting it done. Who wants to be part of it? And that's how it got started. Were, were you at the uh, cast party over um, when he had that, that yes. dinner? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. When he said, yeah. you guys are the ones that said yes when right. everyone else said no? Yeah, no, I know. And I, look, and I, and I a said, lot of my friends said, said wait no. a second. You asked other people before? I was yeah. like, I thought we were the first ones. We just all said yes. <laughs> a lot of people I know said, there's still friends of mine who will not get on a set. They're still afraid still to get on the set. Still. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, well we, are, we are fearless. We are actors, so, and actors uh, do something every day totally. that scares the hell out of us. That's what we totally. do. Totally. I, I, I just want, I love acting. I want to keep working, whatever it is, you know, features, shorts. Yeah, definitely. But I'm just very excited to be a part of it. I'm very thrilled about this. I think it's a great movie. You know, yeah. it's here for the screen. You know, this is a powerful, this is a movie that yes. I, I told Raul, I said, it lives right at the intersection of, of drama and intense. Like, you could play pickle totally. sticks with your butt cheeks with this movie. It's so totally. tight, you know? Totally, so, totally. Yeah. And that was Tom, and Tom's a great guy, and and he, that was true acting, because he's not that guy in the film. I mean, right. that was a, that was a, a, a shock to watch him, because I hadn't seen those scenes until I saw the film. So, um, yeah, that's that's Tom. Um, Raul did a great job of, of molding everybody for what it, what they wanted. And um, my my two scenes in the film were both done very much on the fly. As a matter of fact, um, the the scene in the cop car where I'm brutalizing um, the, the female night hunter. Um, and you thought it was just me being obnoxious and being myself. Um, <laughs> but um, I actually had the script on the floor in that lump over the transmission of the car because That's awesome. I mean, I, well, I mean, it was it was it was either that or or we're gonna have to take another day and rehearse and and instead we needed to bang it out. So we did true that. indie filmmaking. That's <laughs> I mean, nobody could see it, but and you couldn't see me reading anything. You know, you could have been like Brando in The Godfather. He needed cue cards. Well, actually, uh, Brando in uh, Superman had cue cards all over the set. So I mean, and later in his career, he had cue cards. Every he couldn't memorize anything apparently, but yeah. um, but that wasn't the problem. The problem was I was doing so many other projects that uh, literally that those two pages or whatever had to be somewhere nearby. And in four hours, we had that scene down, and okay. then it was just a matter of, of lashing out. Now um, we also uh, were fortunate enough to interview uh, producer uh, Jaron Hall, who was pretty much producing everything in town. So. We should uh, let you listen to, let me let you listen to a little bit from Jaron. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. What the here hell I, just happened? Here I am with the my ratings have dropped. Ladies and gentlemen, Jack Vecchio has joined me on the red carpet. Jack, how the hell are you? I am good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to, to see you. you. So exactly. let me ask you, Jack, who do you play in this movie? And more importantly, why are you in it? I am in it because they needed somebody who not only looked like a detective, but can play a detective. And since I've done that in about 150 films, it's pretty much my go-to. Don't send me the script. I'll just wing it. Thank well, you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Jack is back on the red carpet. It was great to have you, Jack. Nice to see you too, man. And that was Jaron Hall, guys. But um, any final thoughts about the movie? Because to be honest, I mean, I know you guys liked it, but like, I had some reservations about it. I'll be honest about it. Oh, go ahead. Speak up. Well, I mean, 
since I come from the filmmaking, from the technical behind the scenes asp- aspect, I thought that some of the cinematography choices were a little confusing. For because everything was going back from a close up to a close up. And then I understood he was going for. In fact, I was talking to Mark Atkinson, another friend of yours. Like, there's definitely a Michael Mann influence with uh, with Brawl's uh, filmmaking. And I saw that, and, and that was evident in the film. But I just think that he needs to go and maybe add, get a few more pickup shots because there were some parts of the storyline that were a little, you know, unclear to me. Now, you had the benefit of watching the film three or four times, so you were able to see everything. But, you know, if I was going to see this in a film, in a theater, or stream it online, I'm going to see it cold. I mean, I need to have some, I mean, a better semblance of what's going on here. Well, you got you got to also understand that like he was determined to make this film during a pandemic where everybody was saying, first of all, saying, no, they didn't want to work on a film. They didn't want to. Right. Be and I respect actors, that. Right? I mean, the fact that he got a crew together to pull this off in the. And some of those shots, like at the truck stops and stuff, it, it needed slick cooperation to get those angles, to get those drones above. There were scenes, simple scenes of just simply following a car down the street where he had to be in the middle of nowhere to do those shots. He had to get creative on the fly. So um, Raul was determined to make a film under the most difficult of circumstances where everybody is saying no. Everybody is saying no. Don't come here with equipment. Don't bring a crew here. Don't set up lights. I don't want to see cameras. And you know, he overcame all of that and managed to put together not only a, a, a cast of the creme de la creme of San Diego, but he put together people that have decades of experience who, who put forth their talents into this film. And that is a good way of putting it. And I'm glad that he accomplished what he accomplished and major props to him. Art through so adversity. And I will respect that. That's probably a good place for us to leave it. Why don't we yeah. take a break and then we'll come back and we'll stick with San Diego. I have something quick to uh, run through here and uh, we'll just carry on here at JV to the pros. JV to the pros back in two. Is your small business, company, or corporation under a legal attack from a disgruntled former or current employee? It often happens where an employee decides to go for a money grab, hoping the business will just settle to make it go away. Well, this is wrong, and Paul Sorrentino of the firm Jackson Lewis knows this is wrong, and he consistently puts a stop to this method of extortion of businesses. Paul Sorrentino fights for you and protects you from sending out a message that you're an easy target. Paul Sorrentino is considered to be one of the five best attorneys in all of California. Many believe he might be the greatest labor attorney in the country. He represents individuals who may be getting taken advantage of by unscrupulous employers, as well as representing small businesses that might be wrongfully under fire. Paul Sorrentino of Jackson Lewis is the premier attorney when it comes to labor law. He represents several corporations that depend on his expertise in class action suits in which the corporation is being targeted. There have been times when opposing counsel has walked into court, realized they have to face Paul Sorrentino, and immediately moved to dismiss instead of letting the judge see that they're going to get shredded by Paul Sorrentino. Having Paul Sorrentino as your attorney is like having a legal superhero on your side. For any of your legal labor issues, call Paul Sorrentino of Jackson Lewis at 619-573-4900. And rest easy knowing Paul Sorrentino will take the best care of you. Call Jackson Lewis at 619-573-4900 and ask for the legal superhero Paul Sorrentino. Tell him JV to the pros recommended you make that call. 
And we're back with JV to the Pros, Season 3, Episode 22. Corey, with the whole voice intact, please do the heavy lifting. I'll try my best. <laughs> I'm trying. Hey, Corey, what are you bench pressing there? Okay, there we go. Oof. You, you bastard. <laughs> getting a little worried there. All right, so I'm ready to go. So we have this thing going on in San Diego where we have some upset parents uh, with San Diego Unified School. School district, right? School district, yes, because the plan is to have uh, introduced ethnic studies for all grade levels at uh, SDU. And I just find it interesting um, listening to the parents, and their thing is, is that they feel like it just doesn't need to be discussed. And the school is saying that, yeah, it does, because it's going to uh, add some extra sensitivity for our young people. And so when they grow up to be adults, you know, they'll have a greater sense of sensitivity. Now, I just simplified um, everything that I had just read about in all the different pages and the complaints. But what say all of you to what I just said here? What do you how do you feel about that? Well, could you give us an example? An example of ethnic studies? Of, of what, what is their issue? Their main issue... Or should we ask Jim? He's a teacher. <laughs> their main issue is, is that they don't feel like that it needs to be done, that our kids have enough to learn as it is. It's going to get in the way of some of their other studies that, dare they think, might be a little bit more important, might be a little bit relevant to their future. You know, Corey, that's an interesting point. We're becoming a more secularized society. So we have to keep into consideration other people's creeds and what they practice and, uh, you know, whatever that floats their boat. Now, what they're saying is, I, I, now, I think what the parents are upset about is that some people would think that they that it would be the classic, you know, right wing conspiracy thing that we're just pushing this left wing agenda. But no, I think that you have to learn how to uh, how to tolerate other people in spite in, in their differences. Well, However, here's what, well, here's what one parent says, and this is a San Diego Unified parent, Jose Valaquez, and I quote, they say, no, it's ethnic studies, but it's not. If you look into the curriculum itself, it teaches you your skin color is a problem. If you're white, you're the problem, unquote. You know, I've, I've been hearing this actually a lot, actually. I've been, people have been treating being Caucasian as a malady, if not outright a crime. <laughs> Yeah, what, yeah, what, what, what did we, what happened here? <laughs> like, like, so, when did we become the, the, the bad guys in this? So, what I think here's the solution that I would come up with. I would have a general curriculum, and why not have some people really take a look at it, and some folks, you know, far smarter than me, to really pick it apart and make sure that we are not putting down other races. That all we're doing is that we're just educating. And I think that's the big thing. And so, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play on the side of Caucasian. If I were Caucasian, um, which, by the way, uh, newsflash, I'm not. But if I were, then I wouldn't want that. If that is truly the case, and I don't know that it is, if that's truly the case, then no, who wants that? Because then what you're doing is you're almost, in a small way, spewing hate in a roundabout way and so we do have to be we do have to be very careful with that. i did have a question okay uh -huh. is it relevant to bring up i mean because 
when we all grew up, okay, we remember- just no history lessons. So just ask your question. <laughs> so you can see him going down that rabbit hole, right? The melting pot. Okay. I think that's relevant in this uh, in in this controversy because we're supposed to be taught that we're colorblind. At least Americans are. Okay, that's unrealistic, and nobody should be teaching that you're color. I think that's stupid. Seriously, uh, and that, this is not an attack on you, Paco. Uh, no way. You're just uh, quoting other people. But I think to say that, uh, oh, that we're a colorblind society, I think is ridiculous. Well, I think the first time that came out nationally was in the 80s when Ronald Reagan tried to say that the government, when it comes to its people, are colorblind. And, I and it ab- was a metaphor, obviously, yes. but, but it's not true. It's and not and true. to tell you the truth, you have enlightened me. You have enlightened me over the last couple of years. I'm, I, I, I don't know. Uh, the frustration. I mean, uh, just just being aware of it is. Sure. I mean, I mean, black people go through so much, so often, so regularly, so many days of the year. Yeah, it's and, like like uh, yeah, I would be furious. And 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 as do as do other cultures, as do other genders, all of that. So we should never say, oh, well, we live in a society where we all look at everybody the same. No, because when we do that, we remove sensitivity. I think that's the problem. Right. And, and look at Congress just passed an anti-Asian hate bill, which means, okay, now we've got a law that if you attack, um, for no reason, you attack an Asian person because you're taking out the whole COVID frustration on them, that now that's a felony. But now how long before we have anti-Italian, anti-Polish, anti-this, anti-that. Where does it end? I mean, you shouldn't be allowed to attack anybody. You shouldn't need to have a law that says don't attack Asians. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was ridiculous. And everybody seemed to be all, you know, all for um, voting for it as quickly as possible to make themselves look good to the constituents. Yeah, that's just, pan- I mean, it's yeah, it just, just pandering, pandering to the vo- to the voters. 100% pandering, uh, you know. I mean, but, you know, that's the problem. You can't legislate stupidity. And that's what it is with people that are attacking Asians because they think they're- Yeah, uh, they're just walking down the street. They're getting yeah. hit for no reason. Yeah, it's just- you know, and But we shouldn't have to have a law that says you can't hit Asian people. Because now you're going to have people saying, wait a second, they're not 100% Asian. They've got 23% Greek. I mean, unfortunately, this is the problem because we have so many stupid people out there that just do that kind of stuff. Just stupid, ignorant you know, people. Jack hit on, sorry to interrupt. Jack hit on something really interesting there. You know, you mentioned, you meant. It was bound to happen after three seasons. Because <laughs> no, you're measuring, like, if somebody's two thirds Asian or half Asian, or, you know, like, you know, right. Asian. Yeah, yeah, right. If it's a law against Asians, how much of that law applies to somebody who has a diluted. Um, nationality about. Well, I mean, that throws. Well, I'm not okay, guys. I'm not smart enough. I don't even want to go down that road. Uh, that road about, uh, you know. No, I'm just pointing out how ridiculous. I thought is. it was just an interesting point. Because, okay, like, so then say it's an interesting point, but we don't have to go any further on on that. Okay, I just don't want to go down that road as far as that. I think yes, Jack, it is important. Um, but I I really just think that with this curriculum, going back to the curriculum. I think it needs to be looked at. If we're going to make a change, then we really need to look at the um, have like smart Department of Education people looking at it also and then bring other people in. Bring whites, blacks, Asians, Hispanic, bring everybody in and make sure that every culture is properly 
one, represented and properly taught. So we're not just saying, okay, you know what? White people are bad and white people did all these horrible things. So we're on the same page that ultimately it comes down to simply educating. Ignorance is where the problem is. Why we have to have these laws is because of ignorance. Right. And also, can we have our parents do some of the job too? Can you raise your children to be culturally sensitive? I I think, I think. Can we do that? I think you're right in one sense. Okay. And I think you're um, ignoring part of the problem in another sense because the, the the more difficult it is for people to make ends meet, if you remember years ago, women usually didn't work and only the man worked. Then as, as the economy tightened up, women had to work. So you've got less and less and less time spent with kids and you have less and less available energy. People come home from a 10 or 12-hour day and now they don't want to sit there and fine-tune their kids. They just want a breather. Okay, I, I can appreciate that. That, but you still do have to pay attention. And while I, I will I admit this, I do not know what it's like to be a single parent. So let me put that out there. I have no clue what that's like, and I can only imagine how difficult that is. I will say this. You can still spend time to educate. Maybe if you only have 15 minutes, can you spend time? Can you take the phone away from them? Well, we, we, we all know that persistence and consistency is what works okay. with kids. But in, in a 15-minute window, if you've got somebody who has worked, like literally from the time the kids get up, and they've been at work all day, and then they come home long after the kids okay. have come home from school, there there is a there is an issue with, with that, for some physical reason, yes, exhaustion. But it's not the case, but I'm not going to let folks off the hook because there is a lot of people who still don't raise their children to be culturally sensitive. Well, now, hang on a second. A rare move. Oh, my stalker. Oh, good. Oh, my, that's, my, that's my, my stalker slash producer. She's coming slash, in. She's coming in. Karen, Queen of Queens, has got something to say. She's coming in. And she's waving her hands like, stop talking. I got something to say. All right. I agree with you, Corey. Okay. But I also think that when we all grew up, we were outside playing yes. with the neighborhood kids whatever race nationality Mm -hmm. they were agreed now we're doing this podcast and i'm looking outside not one child have i seen walking with a parent who's walking the dogs walking the dogs nobody's out playing i don't see this and we live across the street from the park and the only time i see kids at that park is during little league so what's wrong with that yes that's true that is very true. Yeah. We, we live across the street from uh, an elementary school, and I think it's a middle school as well, right? Or it's an elementary school. It, yeah, I think but, it is. But, I mean, we don't see the parents unless the parents are living vicariously through their kids in the way of sports. We don't see them spending that time. And, yes, they are walking their dogs. They are jogging. They are strolling. They are doing their, their steps. And the kids are not with them. When you say they, you've got to be really specific because it's either parents or the grandparents, because a lot of times I do see grandparents pushing strollers. So then I will narrow it down a little bit more. And so I, as I caveated, and I said, made, just making up a word, caveat. Uh, my own word. Yes, my own word. I'm inserting it. Corey Webster. I'm inserting it in the dictionary. Coreydia. I caveat it. Uh, I will say this. Look, uh, single parents. As long as it's integritous. You know, single parents, all the props to you and the hard work and the hard work that you do. And I'll never dismiss that. I'm really looking at you, parents, 
two-parent home where there is time and you're not spending time with your kid. I'm really looking at, I'm really talking to you when you know, blast it well, that you have time. And when you're in the home and you're spewing hate for, I don't care who it is, whatever, it's Asian, trans, whoever, and you're just spewing stuff, maybe you just back off of that. Well, here, here's another point. And now let me jump to the other side. Yeah, here. okay. I, and now I, I'm going to jump to now I'm going to jump really to the other side because now here's the thing as a minority, and I teach this and tell this to minorities and different gender groups. We also need to be resilient. Now I'm going to say something that might be controversial to um, folks that are folks that are listening. It is not up to someone to give us to build up our self-esteem. So in other words, Jack, if you decide, not uh, just you, I know you wouldn't be this way, but if you decide, you know what, in your home, I don't want to live next to a black person, to a black family, guess what? That's your right. All I ask from you is to respect me, not say horrible things, not damage my furniture, not damage my property, or keep me from a job or anything like that. That's what I'm looking for. And because we do have to get out of this thing where we want everybody to love us. Everybody, I'm sorry, for those listening and blacks that are listening, Asians and everybody else, not everybody's going to love us. And so that piece, we have to sort of just accept and say, okay, you know what? Just respect us. Right. Now, now when Karen and I tried to rent the house next door to you and you were signaling, no, no, not them, not them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But I, I think so, I, I wanted to make one quick point. Um, I, I think also quick point. Okay. Quick point. I more on there. One of the, I think one of the other problems is I think as things have become more and more automated, people are plopping their kids down in front of the TV and letting the TLC channel or the Disney channel basically parent their kids. Well, yeah. And I think laziness has also kicked in. I think things have become more and more automated and they're counting on some sort of educational program on the kid's laptop or tablet to basically teach the kid and they're hoping for the best. Okay. So look, let's just wrap this up. Well, uh, you know, I'll continue to follow this and see what's going on. Um, and I'll report on this as things go. But, you know, let's just pay attention to our children, okay? Yeah, because they, they need future. attention. They need, they need your time. They need attention. All right. I mean, you know, All I right. would probably be an overwhelming parent. <laughs> All right. Do we want to take a break or do we want to jump right into a, a, a laptop? Well, you know, we're going to leave it up to our technical genius. We're going to have some input on the production. Paco, what do you say? Open it up. He calls it. He said, we're not taking another break. We're going to take another break before we've got, we've got sponsors. We've got to sit there and mention, but we'll go right into it. Let's go. Corey, right. go for it. So let's go for it. So, um, Jack, uh, you no doubt know who Hunter Biden is, right? He is the son of the president, best president in the last six years. Right? Okay. Very good. There. <laughs> and so are you aware of anything going on with his laptop? With his laptop? Yeah. Okay. Is this a, what? Paco, you know, help me out here. No, I'm just as I'm just as cold about it as you are. Okay, okay. wait well, a second. Neither uh, one of two thirds of this show doesn't know about. Well, that. I'll just, just fire, like Congress. I'll just fire a couple things at you. So uh, his laptop was recovered, and 
let me just say this. I'm always mystified with these famous people that have their phones and laptops uh, recovered. Now we know why Tom Brady smashed his phone. Because you don't want people uh, prowling around in your stuff. At any rate. You took the words right out of my yes, mouth. At any rate, there's uh, photographic uh, evidence uh, that then Vice President uh, Biden had attended a April 16th, 2015 dinner with uh, some shady Russian people that Mr. Biden said that he had no clue. These are not the Russian people that Giuliani was getting on a plane and they got caught and arrested. This uh, those guys are. These individuals, um, they even posed for photos uh, with some of these guests. Then you mm. also have this. Now, you know how with our former president, many people uh, called him uh, racist, right? You like... Among like, other things. Yes, but that was one of the, just sticking with that for the moment, that was the big narrative. So we have Hunter Biden dropping the N-word all over the place in uh, his emails. And I quote. Wait a second. He's dropping the N-word the N- the and he's N-word. the son of the current president. So I'm going to do a quote here. Is this, is, this, is this confirmed? This is confirmed. I don't want the Secret Service his, showing up. You're sure with about his, this? With his uh, lawyer who is Caucasian, by the way. <laughs> and um, so he drops the N-word. And so I quote, this is Hunter Biden asking his lawyer, quote, how much money do I owe you, Biden asks, uh, in one exchange on December 13, 2018. And then he added, quote, because, N-word, you better not be charging me Hennessy rates. <laughs> uh, first son, uh, joked about the size of his genitalia and then told the lawyer, quote, I only love you because you're black, unquote. And the, and the lawyer's white. And the lawyer's white. Okay, I don't, get the, I, don't now, get the, I don't get the joke. So there is no joke. So here's the thing that fascinates me, that we have cancel culture all over the place where even you just say partially the wrong thing. Like we had uh, the gal from... Uh, the Mandalorian. Uh, Gina Carano. Yes, thank yes, you. Yes, and, Look at Papa. And they fired, and they fired her because she compared this society, do I have this right, Paco, to uh, uh, Nazism? Nazi Germany. Nazi yeah. Germany, okay, and she was fired for that. We have people that get fired all the time. And this was during the Trump administration. Yes, we have people fired all the time for dropping the N-word. What terrifies me with us This has not been reported, and trust me, I've looked, on CNN, CNBC, and Fox. Nothing crickets. There's more stuff. Now, wait. Fox pretty much supports the Republican Party. We know that. Fox is, like, behind Trump. You know that, and I know that. They are the Republican Party. How is Fox not going Uh, ballistic on this? Did I misspeak? You said Fox. Okay, I apologize. I deeply apologize. Not Fox. I'm glad you guys set me straight on that. And so we have some false narratives going on, you know, that like Republicans. are. So racist. is Fox reporting the hell out of this? And They're, everybody else they is have reported it? it, but CNN and all the other things. Democrat. Yes. Back there is. Thing. So they're just going to sweep it under the rug because it doesn't fit the narrative. What? Right. And also they're sweeping his drug use. I'm talking about Hunter Biden's his drug use. His uh, being well, uh, sued. Fill, fill me in on this because what's his drug use? I don't know much about Hunter Biden. Uh, I mean, um, I mean, I kept hearing he's a bad guy or Coke, something, I, and I thought it was just come on, you guys are just grasping at straws. Coke vendors, um, 
all sorts of all sorts of things that this has done. There's I been mean, confirmation he has, that he did coke. Confirmation that he has smoked crack. He's done other things. Here's one cool thing that he's done. Well, it's not cool. He smoked being, crack so he could run for mayor of DC. <laughs> there you go. So here's one of the other things that he did. And so um, he has a love child with a stripper um, by the name of London uh, uh, Alexis Roberts. So all of a sudden, Biden got Hunter Biden got cool. Well, he was sued. He was sued two years ago. Paternity suit, so he's paying now. But here's one of the interesting things. I'm hoping everybody heard the sarcasm in that. Here's one of the interesting things. So he fathered the child with Roberts, the stripper, while he was dating his older brother, Bo Biden's widow. Shortly after Bo Biden died of brain cancer in 2015, Hunter began a relationship with Hallie Biden, who was previously married to Bo. So while Hunter and Hallie ended wow. things April of 2019 after dating for about two years, Robert's child was born August of 2018. That means that Biden's affair with Robert's occurred while he was in a relationship with Hallie. You don't know where it went in August? And so I don't, I don't know. Just um, wondering if just, producer Karen shares a birthday with this kid. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't think producer Karen cares about that. And so, uh, so, so the stripper's name is Roberts. Problem yes. is, he didn't get with Tanya Roberts. He got with Stripper Roberts. But the thing that I find fascinating, um, and I meant to say, um, people, I put in Fox, but I meant to say ABC. So CNN, ABC, and MSNBC. All the usual suspects that yes. support the Democratic Party are turning their back on this. Have right? dedicated nothing to this. Now, during the presidency, the, the same media repeated... Um, Endlessly, or reported endlessly about the previous president, how he used the N-word while he was filming The uh, Apprentice, even though no proof of these comments ever existed. But Well, that's, no, that's not completely true, because there were contestants on the show that said they heard that's not proof. They heard Trump say this. Okay, I that's mean, not proof in a court of law. That's hearsay. That's not hearsay. Hearsay is when you hear it. It's somebody else, like if if, pa if you say something to me, Corey, and then I tell Paco, Paco says, okay, Jack told me Corey said it. Proven. That's hearsay. That's not proven. But if he hears you say it directly, then did, he can testify Did you hear what I that. said? Did you hear what I said? It's not proven. You can't prove that in a court of law. If I heard you say it, I can testify to that. That goes in a court of law. It's not proven. Proven, when something is proven, you go through court and then the courts say, Yes, you did this. Just like it's not proven that O.J. Simpson cut off, nearly cut off the head of his former wife. Okay, so it's not proven. Well, hang on a sec, because in the in the um, in the trial, the um, the the financial trial, it was determined that her death, that O.J. Simpson was responsible for her death. Which means if she died by having her head cut off, they had determined that he was the reason her head got cut off. So. Actually, it doesn't mean that he did. Actually, it. if you go up to O.J. Simpson and call him a murderer, he cannot sue you for that because he is responsible for her death. Yes, and but her it doesn't death mean that was he did from it. being for, was from being decapitated. Okay. Did you hear what I said? It doesn't mean. Of course you didn't. It doesn't mean that he did it. It doesn't mean he did it. Being responsible for something, it doesn't mean that you actually did it. I can be responsible for producer Karen getting into a car accident. But it doesn't mean I was driving the car that either hit her or in the car that took the wheel or something. Maybe I was talking too loud or 
maybe I did something else or I yelled or something. So I, I, I see, I see the angle. So you're going with yeah, I get, I get what you Okay, saying. so yeah. you just made me go five minutes. Uh, all no, 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 it's okay. I, wanted, I was, make, I was making a point, but I, I see how you you danced. You, so you with danced all, legally around it. Well, so well, that's what I'm talking about. Is legally, so I just find it fascinating. And here's the thing: the biggest thing in all of this, the biggest takeaway, is what I've been saying since we have done this podcast: is the imbalance of media reporting. And that is the biggest takeaway with all of this. There's a deluge of information that is coming out about the Bidens and people know nothing about it. Okay. And what I'm saying is I just find it fascinating. So my question to you, because I know, you know, you're, you know, you're a hard loving Democrat. My question is well, you. Well, hang on. That that's that that's not okay. My question. I think to I'm you. a moderate liberal, gotcha. and that's really what I am. Okay. But but I mean, when when given when given the choices we've had the last okay. two elections, I have certainly okay. not so, stood with the Republicans. So my question to you is: How do you feel about this latest example of media malpractice? Okay. First what of all, first of all, that? I think by by definition of reporting the news. I think we've lost our way in getting accurate news. I, I think the days of Walter Cronkite giving fair and unbalanced news, I think those days are gone. I do think that the news media has taken sides. I think when uh, we look at um, local affiliate KUSI in San Diego, which is a primarily a San Diego, the owner of that station is clearly a Trump-supporting Republican, and um, and they really do slant the news. It's hard to get a genuine story. How does that story. make you feel? So it I makes, know me, how it makes me feel like, like I can't count on the news. It makes me feel like I can't get um, a, a, an honest assessment of what's going on. I feel right. like everything that I'm being fed is being filtered through a Democratic or Republican filter. That's the way it makes me feel. It feels like I can't find accurate news. There are times when I'm at home and I see something on the news and I show it to producer Karen and she says, relax. As, as flat as you make a pancake, there's always two sides. They, they, they are not giving you what you want, you know, in full. They're giving you what they want you to see. This has become full-on entertainment, slanted entertainment. Right. So well, I find what, it fascinating. Hold just one second, Paco, and we're going to get to you. Paco. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. It would have been better if you had said it when the other president was in office, because this was my biggest argument with you about the previous president that things were not accurately reported and you kept taking in what you were hearing on the news and taking it as gospel. And I kept telling you, no, this stuff is not true. Plus I made a bad habit of being one of those headline readers and yes. not reading the story yes. and being, and not investigating for myself. And that was frustrating the hell out of producer and, Karen. Uh, go ahead, Paco, Paco. And then I'll make one yeah. last point on this. Well, I mean, I was just going to say, I mean, why do they think they call it infotainment now? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> okay, I'd never heard of that. But I'm I hadn't heard that either. I'm going to tell you something I mean, else, too. Because with the rise of, you know, mass media and, you know, corporate conglomerates taking over, I mean, this is everything that they ever dreamed of. So that's why we had the creation of Fox News and an MSNBC to justify feeding this information to the mass pop the population. Here's the other thing, too, that I find fascinating. Where are all the people who have the outrage when the N-word is dropped? Well, I think where I, is where is BLM? <laughs> but hang on, just for a second. Where is BLM? Where are all the people? Where is cancel culture with all of this? See, I am I am one of these people that 
I don't agree that if the N-word is, is unacceptable across the board, the N-word should be unacceptable across the board. It shouldn't be okay for black people to use the N-word and not white people. There shouldn't be a pass on some of the population. and not any, either, it's, either, either it's unacceptable, and I personally think it should be eliminated from the vocabulary. Because I think, I think if you turn around and start dropping the N-word and you say, well, well, I'm immune. But you are, you're not. That's not fair either. Well, I mean, I'm not going to get into that. I think that's a whole separate argument about if black people can use it and that kind of stuff. But we have a Caucasian person that's using the N-word. And what I'm hearing is I'm hearing crickets. It's crickets from the black community. I'm hearing crickets from, it's crickets from BLM. It's crickets from cancel culture. All of that kind of stuff, I find that fascinating. Where's Hollywood in all this? Well, here's Hollywood's the, quick to here, jump here's the other thing, this. Corey. When when a, when a black person is caught on camera being completely unjustly shot or beaten up by police or whatever, when the same thing happens by a black officer to a white person, we don't have a thousand people or ten thousand people walking down the street protesting. That's not what's going on. White people don't seem to assemble like that. It just seems like when it happens to black people, all of a sudden there's some pipeline on Facebook or something, and everybody assembles as quickly as possible. Well, yeah, I mean, but again, uh, uh, you still neither one of you has responded to what I said, so I'm going to say it for one last time <laughs> uh, because you're just going off in a completely different direction. And what I'm saying is, is that. Um, Paco, I'll just ask you directly because I think you can give me an answer or your opinion. Why do you think cancel culture, why do you think BLM and there's no outrage in Hollywood for this? Because it doesn't fit their narrative. Go on. The image of the Biden administration or just the Democratic Party in general is we are the we are the, the beacon. We are the ones that will bring us out of the darkness that was the Trump administration. But when in fact that was a flawed statement to begin with. And we're going to look at this in time in the years to come. And we're really going to find out that the reality of it is we were fed one side of the story. There was much more going on behind the scenes. I know it because I've seen it firsthand. I don't want to say too much, but you guys remember when the uh, when the mic when the migrants were trying to cross through in 2018? When yes. they staged their thing at the border yes, and they ran with it and basically uh, it was on every corner. Uh, there are so many angles to that story that were never brought about on the news. Well, I'm not saying gonna, they were never. I don't think it was it was mass publicized the way. Oh, it, it was mass publicized, but it was it was they did it. They well, was, either, was, either it wasn't brought up on the news or it was mass publicized. Which is it? Well, I what know I'm what saying, Paco's saying. He's saying that it really wasn't covered. He's not saying that it uh, it was completely dark, but he's saying there was like next to nothing on there. And I think. Paco, sometime we should talk about this because I think you're uniquely qualified to discuss this. And I would definitely want to get your opinion um, on this. And man, what you just said was 100% spot on. And I was glad that's what I just spent five minutes trying to get you guys to say it. So I'm glad I called on you directly to... Uh, All that money spent at San Diego State just paid off, Paco. Tell you, Dad. Uh, well spent. So round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Yeah. And you're right uh, to wrap this up. It doesn't fit the narrative. And I'm telling you this, folks, we really need to be careful and we really need to keep, be careful about media, because all I'm going to say is this. If you look in history, other societies that have done similar things where they control the media, push to defund the police, and they take away the guns from citizens. And then militia and things are formed. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to say just look at your history and see 
the European countries that did that and what happened. What happened, And yes. what happened years later. Your assassins and, come and with I'm, smiles. And I'm going to leave it right there. I will say nothing else on this. And that'll be JV to the pros taking a little break as we are exiting quite a compelling segment. Corey, man, five stars to you, man. Thumbs up. We'll be back in two. So I was checking into barnone1.com and seeing all that they offer. Barnone, the number one com. They have certified and qualified professional bartenders and servers that make party guests feel like they're living the high life. Bar None can be contacted at 619-952-9414, and that will be the first step to getting your event on track. Bar None will help you prepare the kind of event that is greater than you imagined. They've done this for years and they know what they're doing. So they can answer your questions and guide you to a successful and memorable event. Call Bar None at 619-952-9414 and let them handle these details so that your guests have a great time with a professional server who knows how to take care of their guests. Now, they know how to make your guests feel like they're going to have a great time in part because the work that Bar None does for an event is unparalleled. Call Bar None at 619-952-9414 and get the process started for your next event with Bar None. Tell them JV that the pros sent you. And we're back with JV to the pros, season three, episode 22. We are going to shift gears. And Corey, tell me, tell me you got a Truth is Alien prepared. That's right, tinfoil people. I'm back. I know it's been a while and you missed it. So now I'm going to get my hat. Put the hat on. I'm putting the hat on. You got to descramble that government (laughs) signal, Corey. There we go. Okay, wait a minute. Hold it. There's a black helicopter. Hold up. Hold up. All right, just making sure. All right. See people walking around with dark sunglasses on. I get nervous. Dark sunglasses at night. (laughs) I wear my sunglasses at night. And so, talking about where truth is alien, you know that UFOs in the Pentagon, that's become all the rage. Right. Because everybody thought they were going to finally admit that it wasn't weather balloons. It was actually UFOs. We thought it was coming. But in for a surprise. Well, yes and no, Jack. And uh, remember, they have a different name now, Corey. What are they called now? I have no idea what they're called. UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. (laughs) (laughs) They will always be UFOs to me. No, of course. And so my theory is the reason why that the economy is, uh, I'm sorry, that the reason why that uh, the Pentagon is jumping all over this. I have three reasons why. Well, you might have been right. The economy. (laughs) Yes, the economy, because this is going to jumpstart the economy. So I think you're going to have uh, private people, uh, the private sector, and then you're going to have governments that are going to be all over this. And these defense contractors, they're going to get fat and happy with different things. So we talking like planetary defense systems, SDI kind of stuff? Oh, I can see that. I can see all of that coming down the road. Because, listen, it's been a month that we've had the new uh, NASA director, Bill Nelson, and he's a former astronaut and a former senator. Now he's in there, and he has proposed uh, for an additional $24.6 billion to go towards research and study of UFOs. Now, now, Bill Bill Nelson is no relation to Anthony Nelson, right? I have no idea who that is. <laughs> he's the guy on Genie. <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I dream a genie. That reference is lost. That reference completely lost. Yeah, that, uh, you were, you know. Yeah. Uh, no. Nobody knew who Anthony Nelson that sunk, was. Come that on. sunk like just, a stone. Just stay on the island. Let's go back yeah. to UFOs. Thank you. That sunk like a stone. <laughs> so I think Paco, uh, and then the third reason, Paco, I think uh, because access to video makes it more difficult to conceal and debunk. I think because we have so many people out there that are taking pictures. Now the Pentagon, i.e. U.S. government, has to say, okay, you know what? We've got to do something about this. So what they're going to do, and this is the brilliance of the government, they're going to monetize this. Since they have to acknowledge it because we have everybody that has cameras, why not just monetize it and say, yes, you know what? We need protection. We need uh, access to what's going on up in space. That means more money, and it's going to jumpstart the economy. I think so. Elon Musk, he's uh, you know, he's uh, licking his lips right now. And Bezos, oh, I Bezos and his brother are about to take a spin in space. Uh, but you know, uh, Lockheed Corey, Martin, I think all of them. But Corey, I mean, this is, I mean, this is nothing unheard of. I mean, this is just another step. If anything, you're right. This is the commercialization of the UFO phenomenon. What, what, because let's say, let's go back in a little bit back in the 50s, we had Project Blue Book, which was the, the Air Force's investigation into UFOs. Yes. And it was officially shut down in 1969. And later on, J. Allen Heinlich came, later said he was the lead uh, civilian scientist who was yes. attached. He told the government, he was later told on, te- he later replied that the government forced him in order to uh, embellish and stretch and say that these were, you know, just regular phenomenons and not the fact that they were unexplained. You're exactly right, because we were getting too close. And I really think, Paco, that's one of the reasons why, you know, uh, those of us that were around in the 70s and they were talking about uh, a space station and certainly a station on the uh, on the moon, all of that just went away. Well, I mean, the, vanished, the official reason was because at that point, everyone likes to say that the moon landing or the Apollo missions were just a publicity stunt just to beat the Russians. But after 1972, we never put another man you know, on exactly. another man body. There were plans. And then Nixon, of course, was saying, like, oh, we need more money in order to fund the war in Vietnam, even though he was trying to de-escalate the war, even though he kept on continuing the bombing campaign. But he probably got the memo from somebody in a flying saucer, whether whether or not he was green, he told him, stay off of the moon. That's our territory. You stay in your little miserable little blue ball in space. But nobody nobody owns the moon. Well, now you're speaking my language. Because I have always theorized. Oh, I'm speaking Coronese now. Yes, you're speaking Coronese now, and I'm adjusting my I'm adjusting my hat here because you're really speaking my language. I have long since thought, since I was a child, that there are things up on the moon that they are terrified of us seeing, us meaning the general population. I really think that our visitors, and I've said this before. Uh, and truth is alien here on JV to the pros. I really think that when we get visitors, they are close by. And I think that they're on the moon. They're on the neighborhood. Mars. Yes, I think they're in the neighborhood. So doesn't it make sense where you drive by? So you drive around National City, you go shopping at different places close by El Cajon, right? Right. Okay. So I don't drive to Santa Monica to do grocery shopping. No, I just go to. Well, it should be a, a two-hour drive to go. That'd be ridiculous. Exactly. Three hours. So my give point. Or take. So my point being is that I think that these flying saucers, the ones that are real, and I recognize there are some that aren't, but the ones that are real, I think that they're close, and I think um, they probably reside on the moon, and they probably reside on a place like 
Mars where the atmosphere isn't so treacherous? Well, I mean, I have said this many times. If there's an infinity to this to space, how arrogant would it be to think we're the only living things out here? I mean, you know, come on. Corey, you raised this really good point there about Mars. So as early you remember the Viking missions in the seventies, right? Absolutely. Okay. So the first picture they were basically they were the first color pictures that were that were beamed from Mars to Earth. You're really talking my language. Now the Russians, now the Soviets <laughs> did attempt to do this, but they uh -huh. had mixed results. Uh -huh. But what people were saying though is because one of the one of the one of the laboratory experiments that was included in the Viking landers was uh, to check the sodium or the uh, microbial life forms in the soil. Yes, and they got a false negative, and that's still been controversial to this day. Because they even tried using it because what they did at JPL was they actually had an analog of the lander. So in other words, if something were to screw up on Mars, they could just, you know, go to the uh, go to the warehouse where they keep the lander and you kind of it. figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. So you they tested that thing, you know, through everything and they ran and they were still trying to come up with a I mean, basically, it's indicative that there is microbial life on Mars. Yes. And some people might even say that the atmosphere might not be as, uh, on, you know, might not be as bad as people would assume. Agreed. Because now, now we're all on the same page. That now what, you remember what, that what, what we're getting as far as information from these rovers on Mars is absolutely being screened and filtered. Sure. I got some okay. inside information on this. So I had a couple buddies of mine who worked as security guards for well, some contract. Are you, are you allowed to say this infra inside information? I'm not naming any names. Okay, go. So they worked for a defense contractor here in San Diego who were subcontracted from JPL to work on the rovers. I think the most, the second, uh, there was the second to last uh, mission that was uh, in 2012. That was Curiosity. And what he told me was they regularly airbrushed the photos. And to make things even better, they actually are actively looking for life up there. In other words, they know that there's something up there. In fact, it might not be intelligent, but at the very least, they know that there are little critters running around on the surface. Yes. And they regularly just brush the photos away in, you know, Photoshop magic. Because the notion that if, if anybody were, if so, if somebody were to take a picture and see this little crab little thing running around the surface of Mars, I mean, wouldn't that freak out people on here on Earth? It wouldn't freak me out. I would start selling. I would start selling. Tinfoil stuff. I mean, just the T-shirt sells a lot. <laughs> yeah, but then you got to compete against Alex Jones, and you know he's got a whole monopoly on on aluminum foil. <laughs> but back to our point here, I think that we are definitely there is definitely a lot more life out there than we expect. And here's another and, and another candidate or another big thing about Mars, and this is still to this day, Corey, guys. So they've taken atmospheric and measurement samples of the planet on a regular basis with you know what how many other satellites we have there is a huge uh, there's a huge amount of methane that is regularly expunged from the planet and you can see this in infrared scanners now for those who are not in the know methane is actually the is what what organic life forms produce and there's a lot of it being produced by mars and they still can't give an answer an explanation as to why this it's happens being produced by cows too so uh, Martian cows, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, I, I do think I do think we're getting a, a, an abbreviated interpretation of what they're actually gathering up there. I think that uh, we're finding out stuff many days after the editing is done. I think that we're finding out stuff way after they've decided what they'd like to share with us. Agreed. Agreed. Well, okay. I think that's a good place to end it because we I got, all agree. 
I got something. You know, how about we get in on this, uh, get on in the uh, the space business ourselves? Let's set up. Uh, yeah, it's a just consult- that easy. <laughs> you just need a hundred billion dollars. Once you get that, we're in. <laughs> hey, you know, a lot of great companies started from garage. No, no, ba- ba- not today to get into space. It's not happening. Um, you remember that movie, The Astronaut Farmer? Yeah. About the guy who decided to make an, uh, a spaceship and, and orbit the Earth and everything based on a true story. Okay, that that guy was being completely bombed by by the government who did not want him to lift off. They did not want him to go into space. They did not want him to come back safely. They did not want people to think you can go into space, travel around and get back safely. They wanted to make you think that you are dependent on the government to get this right. Agreed. All right. So now that we got that out of the way, I think that's again, I'll say it again. It's a good place. A good to place end it. Yeah. Uh, well let's get back to, to Earth. It. And so all right. Well, Jack, I'd say another show. I'd say this was a really good show. I didn't think my voice was going to... I let you know that I was probably going to lose my voice completely, but it's yeah, probably yeah. going to be gone by uh, by the end of the night. Uh, but I, I want to thank you again for coming to the screening. I want to tell you that, uh, first of all, I, I didn't tell you this. Um, Paco was quite the hit at, at the red carpet screening. They re- Everybody really liked Paco. People were reaching out to me saying, you know, that guy that, that does the uh, techno stuff for your show, he's really a fun guy. Nice. And um, my best friend, Paulie, he sat with them and uh, he, he and his wife, and they enjoyed his company very much. Paco was a hit was at the a- screening. Well, I enjoyed Paul's company and his legal advice, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, well, Paul is... <laughs> He's a Wikipedia of legal advice. But anyway, I want to thank you very much for coming. I was very proud. They they had heard about you. They had had been listening to the show, but they finally got to meet the man behind the voice, which was wonderful. My pleasure. So that is season three, episode 22, as my voice is barely hanging on. I'm Jack Vecchio with my partner, Corey, the Iron Man, Ramsey. Corey, why don't you tell everybody the platforms we're on? You can find us everywhere. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Stitcher Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, uh, iHeartRadio, iHeartRadio, uh, Buzzsprout. Anywhere where there are podcasts, you can find us, so there's no excuse. Yes, we are there. Paco, yes. you've done it again, my man. You've done it again. And by the way, I want to thank you very much for uh, miking up those interviews at the uh, red carpet. That was wonderful. And It's uh, my pleasure, guys. Everybody enjoyed talking to you. Everybody enjoyed talking about the movie. All right. And that will be Night Hunter. We'll, we'll probably plug that again before we have the screenings for anybody in the San Diego area that would like to attend that hadn't seen it. Okay. Season 3, Episode 22 is in the books. I'm Jack Vecchio with my partner, Corey, the Iron Man Ramsey. Corey, sign us off. See you later. Ciao. Bye.